some good rock and roll coming up for you now. The guys from Kiss have arrived. They snuck in the back door. You spend your whole life doing the first few albums, and then suddenly everybody needs their attention. Erica M. The invention of the VJ. A flashback on the career that made them who they are today. On this episode. So the Mickey Mouse Club. You know, you're just a child, and they take you in the Mickey Mouse Club, and you live in this world that's uh, fantasy in a way. And the, the image of my life, you know, at 50, what do you do now? And, and looking at the world. This is Erica M's reinvention of the VJ. Now, here's Erica M. Hi there. I'm Erica M. And thank you so much for tuning into this episode of my reinvention of the VJ podcast. Today's show, I thought it would be fun to start the show a little differently with this message from a fan of this podcast. Hi, Erica. I love this podcast. It's so amazing to hear all the stories, all the behind stories from all the DJs over the years on Much Music. Um, I just wanted to see if you could also include Music Plus because um, here in Ontario, I know we got to see some of those videos and see some of the DJs that crossed over like Juliet Powell. And um, what did I always wonder about VJs? Like everything. Like, I mean, I was curious about where you hung out. I mean, we already heard about that. I was curious about what you did in your spare time, how you got the job, um, what your parents thought, um, and what your kids think about that now. Anyways, I love it. Keep continuing and um, power on. Bye. Come on. How awesome is that? Thank you so much. Unfortunately, you didn't leave your name. But you definitely made some great points and some really good questions, which we will get to today on today's show. So on today's show, we will tap into Music Plus with an interview with one of the VJs who started her career in French at Music Plus and then bravely moved from Quebec to 299 Queen Street West in Toronto to join the team in English at Much Music. To bring a little French kiss to reinvention of the VJ podcast, Today's guest is my very good friend, Nathalie Richard. But before we jump into our interview, I want to thank you so much for joining and listening to the show today and for subscribing to this podcast and for leaving so many of these heartfelt reviews and messages. I get them all. And it really is great knowing that you're loving this podcast. As you can tell, <laughs> I get a little excited when we, I get your voice message, and you can continue to do that. Just call me at 833-972-7272 and leave a voice message, which we'll play on the show. If this is your first time tuning into the show, let me just give you a, a bit of background. Reinvention of the VJ podcast is my up-close and personal conversations with the eclectic and talented personalities you may have grown up with on much, or Music Plus. Some I worked closely with, like Natalie. Others came way after my time. While all of our personalities and approaches were very different, there is one thing that we all have in common. Each of us played a small part in Canada's most influential pop culture platform. And then we left at different times. And for different reasons, each of us set off on our next adventure. And it's that story of what happens after much, the reinvention, the resilience, the luck, the tough times, the creativity, and the perspective. That's what intrigues me. My chat with Natalie today will probably be a bit of a, a trip down memory lane for you, 
definitely will be for me. But I'm also hoping that you find some interesting tidbits or insights into what it takes for you to get what you want in life, what you need to reinvent, or maybe deal with tough times. And if you have to, redefine what success is. Listen, I know that a lot of us are going through some challenging times. And as we grow up, we're forced to reevaluate priorities and choices in our lives. And maybe what Natalie has gone through will inspire you in some small way to look at life with new perspective, which brings me to today's guest. Of all the people I worked with at Much Music, it's Natalie who has become my lifelong friend. And her story of reinvention is pretty awesome. I have so much respect for Natalie. So this is a special treat for me to chat with Natalie Richard. Bonjour, Natalie. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to Reinvention of the VJ. I'm so happy to finally interview you. Oh, I'm so happy to see you. It's <laughs> so long and hear you. And uh, congratulations on this very, very great idea. I th- you know, a lot of people are wondering about the VJs. It was such a marking and important uh, era for a lot of people. And I can see it here in Quebec because now I'm back in the beautiful region of Quebec. <laughs> I can see it when I meet people. It's something that you grow up. Uh, not thinking, you know, you become a famous person one day when you're 20 and you don't realize what it is. But as, as you can see for yourself, Erica M will always be Erica M, no matter what you do. <laughs> years and years and years after we were VJs on Music Plus and Much Music. And that's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about those days on Much. I want to talk about all the amazing things that you have created for yourself over the years and you know, I have so much respect for you. And also I want to talk about, you know, how did you become Natalie Richard? Natalie Richard. How did you become that person? And before we get started, I want to say something to you, I guess, publicly, which I've said, I've said to you privately, which was when you and I were working at much, when you first started, I did not like you. Do you remember that? Yes, you thought I was too nice. That's right. And and when (laughs) I said something wrong with me, that's right. I was like, "What's up with that chick? (laughs) Her? She's so nice. What does she want? What's her ulterior motive?" And then, the longer we worked together, I realized, "Holy crap! You really are that genuinely nice and and kind." I wonder, did much music change that? Did you have to become tougher? or lose some of your sort of magic because of anything that occurred during much? No, 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 not at all. This didn't have any effect on my heart or my soul or anything like that. I think that's why I did TV for such a long time. It sort of flew through me and I never really got involved personally in in the effect of what it could create. Like, you know, as you know, some people change personality when they become famous. We've met some (laughs) and they they act differently. And uh, that was never my case. For me, it was just a job. I feel privileged to do it. And it was really hard for me to do television after much music and Music Plus because it was organized television. And I realized later what I liked is the lifestyle. I was a music, I am a musician. 
I was a songwriter at the time. Uh, communication is my is my thing. So it was perfect for our generation to be right there. And it felt like I was a chosen one, you know. So it was just a, a hoot. It was like every day waking up, going to work, going to play. I, I, I think I realize now uh, more than ever how lucky we were to, and, and uh, how special it was because as much as you think that this is going to go on forever, you know, when I was like 21, I thought, oh my God, you know, imagine when I'm like 50, I'm going to be so famous and so rich. <laughs> and you think that this is going to go on forever, which is not at all the case. Uh, as you know, both of us and all the VJs had to reinvent themselves in my case, many times to, I had many lives like a cat. <laughs> it's interesting. You said you realize how lucky you were. I am going to call you on that or slightly disagree because I don't think that any of us were particularly lucky, except maybe Amanda Walsh, who was discovered as a waitress in Hudson, Quebec, where I grew up. So there was a bit of luck there, but I think if we go back, which is what I want to do, and talk about Natalie before Much Music, we'll see that you put in the work and built a path that, that took you there. It's so true, Erica, but you, you know what? I just, you just flashed in a story in my head, and I don't know if I ever told you in person. The reason why I wanted to be a VJ in the first place, it was because of you. What? I don't know if I told you that story. Yes, one when your know, music plus started two years after much music, right? Much music was eighty four. Music plus came in eighty six, and in those days in Quebec, we only had much music in the English part. You know Montreal. You, you grew up in Quebec, so you know there's the French part and the English part. <laughs> it's always been like that. So in the Western part, let's say, uh, much music was a different cable provider, so we had much music there. But in the Eastern part, which is mostly French part, much music wasn't there because it was mostly French people living there, which is strange, but it's how it was. And I, I had a boyfriend. His father was living in Westmount. We used to do motorcycle together. So, and I would go to his house. His father's house was his father's was never there. It was an apartment, and he had the cable, and he had much music. And I remember sitting there and watching much music, and w watching you, and going, "Oh, this is what I want to do." I, I, I was watching this music channel. I was a musician. I was a songwriter. I was studying communication journalism. And I saw this and I thought, okay, this is what I want to do. And um, my boyfriend at the time, poor guy, he was like, okay, can we go out now? <laughs> I was like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> it was the, the beginning sort of reality TV. You know, our reality TV can be so addictive. And it was also the voice of a generation when it started, a generation that didn't have a voice. When you look back, there was like four TV channels and it was made for, it was really boring when you think of it. And the young people's shows were like, you know, so structures and, you know, well-behaved and, and there was a, a rebellion going on in the young people at the time. And I think it was very kind rebellion, but there was something more that needed to be expressed and it went right into my heart. And then I had this idea and that's probably how it started because after that, this is the only thing I had in mind. I was even telling people, I'm moving to Toronto because I moved to Toronto at one point. I went to work at the CBC and I was going, I'm going to, moving to Toronto. And then they would say, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to work at Much Music. <laughs> really? Say that to people. And my boyfriend at the time, had a, um, he had an interview with, 
oh my god i have a blank now the guy uh what's his name the wonderful guy he passed away not long ago he was the technical director of the entire much music jay crew. switzer dana lee oh. and it was much music at the time when you were on the east side of queen And he had an interview with Dana Lee, and I went along because he want he he finishes you know his degree in television, and he wanted to work somewhere, and we moved to Toronto because he couldn't find a job in Montreal, and then he got me in the the CBC, the French CBC, and I started doing the weather on the morning show. I did the weather on TV because the weather guy was always sick, and that's how I started uh, doing television. We went to meet to meet Dana, and then I couldn't speak English very well at the time, obviously. So he was passing the interview, and then Dana turned on to me and he said, "And what about you? What do you do?" And I'm like, "Oh, me, I, uh, I, I blah 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 on TV. This is what I do. <laughs> I did not even know how to speak English properly. This is how funny it was." And then what happened is that while I was working at the French CBC in Toronto, uh, they needed a VJ on the French Music Plus, which was at the time. Remember, broadcast from the Much Music Studios on 299 Queen West. You were finishing your live television at 8 p.m. and Music Plus was going on. The last shot, you know, of the VJ with the light and everything, and the stool was staying. Let's say you, Erica, finished your your last throw at 8 p.m. or at 10 to 8, two videos, and at 8 p.m. the French crew was coming in, and it was the French VJ that was going on for four hours live. Wasn't Sonia Ben-Ezra the first person? The first Sonia was, yes, I, I think it was Sonia Marc-Carpentier left, another guy, for, and it was Paul Sarrazin, Sonia, Catherine Vachon, and one of these Marc-Carpentier or Catherine Vachon left, and they were looking for somebody. So all the, all, because all the French uh, crew, the French VJs were shooting out of Toronto, a lot of the French camera people were working at the French CBC at the time as well. So they came to me and they said, you have to be the next, the next VJ, you have to come and we'll do an interview. We'll do the, your audition in the Much Music Studio because, we, you know, at eight o'clock, we can do this at midnight. When <laughs> so I went at midnight after, you know, everybody goes to the bed for a drink. And then after that, they stayed in, they used the studio and they, they did my demo, my demo tape, because they all wanted me to be the next VJ on Music Plus at the time, that Much Music, obviously. You know what's interesting about that? I had no idea. I didn't know any of that. How long have we known each other? 35 years? I knew nothing about that. But what's so interesting for me is that those camera guys said to you, you should be the VJ, let us do the tape. And there is something about you, Natalie, that kindness that I mentioned that I didn't trust initially because I thought you were so nice is in fact your superpower. It is what, it is what I mean, you work super hard. Yeah, yeah. You're very bright. You're gorgeous. All those things work in your favor. But I think that there is something very unique about your generosity of spirit that really connects with people. So people want to work with you. And, you know, this is a a conversation about uh, our careers, but also other people's careers. Like, how do I get ahead? How can someone else get ahead in life? And I really do think, and I wonder what you think about this, but I think that if you're not a jerk and if you're good to work with, people will remember you and they'll work with you again when they can. Is that your experience? Absolutely. You know what, what is it that 
Ozzy Osbourne was once said, he said, you know, if you sh excuse me, uh, the word, if, you, if the S word on people's head on your way up, it gets back in on yourself or on your face on your way down. Right. And I believe that I, well, we've seen it. I, I don't know for your experience, but I've seen people who would think they were like it and they had like a very bad attitude and they were not nice with anybody because they were in this lucky or special place. And I don't, you know, if your career starts not going the right way, I don't, I haven't, a lot of them disappeared because if you don't, nobody wants to work with you. Uh, when, when you're, when you're very good, uh, they won't want to work with you when things are not going the right way. Mm. Definitely. So, so you worked from 8, 8 PM to midnight Yeah. At 299 West, where our paths really didn't cross at that point because I wasn't working in the evenings. Um, so you never shot Music Plus in Montreal. You only worked. Yes, we did uh, some pre-recording and we had a small office where the Buenanote restaurant uh, moved, uh, moved in for 25 years after that. But we had a small studio office in Montreal on Saint Laurent Boulevard. But uh, we would, uh, with the three VJs, Sonia, Posazin, and myself, we would fly Air Canada. I became one of the first members of Aeroplan. <laughs> Aeroplan at the time started, and we were flying in, and we, we were sleeping in the same hotel room in the Carlton Inn. It was a, up on top of the old uh, Maple Leaf Garden on Carlton Street. So we would, uh, one week it was me, one week it was Paul, one, one week it was Sonia. And I think they rented that room. It was our room, but we, ne we never le left anything there and they cleaned it every day. But we, <laughs> it was the room where we, we stayed. And uh, for three days, we would be in Toronto every week or every second week. And we would pre-record some of the shows uh, in Montreal. Ah, so you still lived in Montreal and you just flew in for your shifts, stayed in yeah. a hotel and flew home. Right. Every week or every week and a half, I would come in Toronto and on, let's say on, when, on Tuesday night and I would fly back on Saturday night or Sunday morning, something like that. Because I used to live in Toronto when I worked at the CBC. But when I got the job, uh, my boyfriend at the time got a job also in Montreal. Uh, on, a t on a big TV show. So we both moved to Montreal at the time. And then I was going back and forth. It's almost like I never left Toronto because I, I came to Toronto first time in 1986. And then I was, I was going back and forth like this, staying in a hotel <laughs> every week. And then I came back in 1991 for music, for much music. And then I, I think I left Toronto in 1998. So we can say that from 86 to 98, I was pretty much in Toronto as much as I always felt Toronto was more of a city to me than Montreal because I spent more of my years, more, many more years in, in, uh, in the city of Toronto than in Montreal. So <laughs> what the, happened? How did you uh, transfer from having a career as a French host on Music Plus to someone saying, hey, let's get that French person to come speak English on it's a Much great Music. Story. It's a great story because we did a lot of things together with uh, Much Music, you know, collaborations. Maybe not so much with you, but uh, we came in and out of the studio eventually. Much Music, uh, Music Plus got their license, so they had their own studio in Montreal in 1989. And then we worked there. But then I don't know if it, how it was for you, but it was very, very little money for us VJs at the time. You know, we're in our 20s and it was like, you're lucky to be here. So here's like so much money and don't complain. And I remember going to, we were interviewed on big like 
big networks and they would say, hey, is that Natalie Richard? No, can't be. Look at her car. <laughs> so raunchy. Can't be her. So it was, uh, I, I took on another job. They asked me to do a, a straight TV show on a straight TV channel. I say that because it was very, very different. We did live television and we were in the environment. It was, you know, it was not the real TV, the, the official TV. And uh, so I accepted. I had no contract with Music Plus whatsoever, signed any deals or anything like that. And then when they found out that I signed for this, they said, you can't, you can't work on Music Plus. And one weekend um, a month, go work for this other TV station. Because I needed to make a little bit more money and I thought it was interesting. I wanted to do everything. And and uh, so they said, no, you can't do this. And I was like, well, I signed a contract already and blah, blah. And they said, no, you can't. You have to resign. And I'm like, really? <laughs> You're not going to replace me? He said, yeah, yeah, okay, sure. You know, we can't, you can't do this. And then so I quit. Because I, 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 could, I couldn't be told you're going to stay here and you can't do this and, and I have no contract. And it's sort of, it was uh, complicated. And I decided to move on at this point. So you, and, you, uh, quit, you, you quit Music Plus? Yes, I quit Music Plus because it didn't, they wanted me to, uh, I had signed a contract and they were like, well, you can't go work there. And I said, well, I signed a contract and the, I had pressure. I signed a contract and I didn't have a contract with Music Plus. And they were like, well, then go. And I'm like, well, I'm going to have to go, but why do you, why, you know, I can stay, I can do both. And they're like, no, you can't be on Tucha anyway. So I left uh, and that was fine. You know, I was moving on with my life. I went on tour for the peacekeepers uh, in Israel, in the Golanites. I went to uh, Cyprus and I did all kinds of things I always wanted to do. It was fabulous. And then one day, phone rings at my house in Montreal, and I was sort of, you know, Erica, I was like, at this point, I was working two jobs. I was being a clown, like with the balloons, because now I was a famous person, so I was not allowed to work. I was not allowed to work anywhere because people were like, you either work on TV, you can't work in a restaurant anymore people know you i was very it's it's crazy how we became so famous right away when we started this you know it, it was like a big we had no idea and then i was famous people were following me recognizing me anywhere so i couldn't work so i found a job and a balloon uh a, a balloon so you know uh, for a birthday thing and they and they hired me and i remember when i, I went in there was two guys, you know, preparing the balloons and everything. I was going to be the clown delivering, you know, the, with the white face, delivering the balloons and everything. And I was doing singing telegrams for them for birthdays because I was a singer. And then I remember the people in the back and they were looking at me and they hated me. And they were like, oh, no. And I, I said to them, I said, why? Well, he said, they said, when you came in, we were certain. We were like, no, don't hire her. She's a star. She's not going to work. <laughs> She's going to come here and not work. There was this judgment of me, like, because I was on TV, I wouldn't do the work. Like, I was working so hard and I always worked really hard. So they apologized. They said, well, we're sorry. We're, you work so hard and you're so good in our team. So, And you're I was so nice. You're <laughs> so nice. So I was delivering balloons during the day. And at night, I was doing a dinner theater in Montreal, a dinner theater show that I love doing. It was called The Haunted House. Some people have been there. It's destroyed now, but it was a Maison Hantée. It was a, a spooky dinner theater. 
you would go in, it was like a haunted house and the characters were dead characters that would come back from the dead. And there was a, all a mise en scène, a very theatrical, it was a big live show with music and people were eaten in the dark and it was, we scared them and it was, it was so much fun. So I would become at night, Matahari was my, my character that I developed for this show. And I would go in and at night I, w- I was, I was doing this, this Matahari persona in, in this, uh, this haunted house dinner theater and sometimes i had to leave we had a, a break in between the between the for the last the, the last tour you know there was like two hours an hour and a half and there was a break there was a kind of a spectacle events or something and after after we had the last round to come back to and i would sometimes go with my car do a singing telegram and come back and do the last oh my god how hard i was working give me an example of a singing telegram could you remember the kinds of Uh, things that you would sing i'm going to put you uh, on the spot i was trained to to do jazz standards you know rennie lee was one of my coach at the time so i would use a jazz standard i would call the person and say okay so what do you husband like oh he likes this and i would change the words like Summertime and the living is easy. I would say, Erica, and you are so pretty. All your family is here and they love you to that. They wanted me as your fairy godmother to tell you we love you and stuff like that. You know, because my voice, I'm not there. <laughs> That's <laughs> so cool. You just made that up on the spot. Yeah, so I was I was doing this at night, and then uh, I was I was owning a house, and we you know I had to, I had to pay the rent and all that stuff, and this is what I found. I was always dressed in a character, so nobody ever recognized me. Sometimes in the spooky dinner theater, they would say, "Matahari, I recognized your voice. weren't you on Music Plus before?" <laughs> and I was like, I would take my this oh, accent of the dead and say, "No, you're wrong," and then the thunder would rise. <laughs> It would protect my my anonymity, you know, my identity. Because the voice, you know, people recognize the voice. I'm sure it's the same for you. Yeah. Our voice, That's our laugh. So funny. And oh, it's yeah. interesting, you know, I have to say I can really relate to that because, you know, I sometimes wish I could just get a job. Like I've been doing YMC, for example, you know, my my website and my agency for so many years. And sometimes I want to stop and just do a job. Yes. Like, and like, you know, go work at Starbucks or something, but I can't. Erica, people won't hire you. I tried. I tried so many times to apply for communication jobs in real companies. I had all the qualification. Nobody would hire me. Teresa Roncon, I don't know if you know this, but Teresa, after she left much, she went to school and she got her communications degree, PR degree, and she is still working in PR. She works at the Heart and Stroke. We, I, I did a big uh, interview with her for this uh, the show. I think it's episode number six or seven. And uh, yeah, so she was able to do it. She was able to go sort of into the mainstream workforce, but very few people are able to make that transition. And you're right, it's interesting. Okay, so we got off track. So you were working at Matahari. And so how did you end up at much music? music? Well, that's the thing. I just finished that uh, the tour, the Peacekeeper tour in the Middle East for one month and then I did this clown thing in Matahari at night and I was in my house one morning and the phone rings and it's John Martin. 
and he's Don like, Martin, who is my who was my boss, right? Yeah, he called me home. You know, I don't know. He got my number, and he's like, Natalie, ah, oh, it's John Martin. I'm like, John, how are you? And he goes, Ah, oh, well, we 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 need a VJ that's 20 years old with 20 years of experience. So we thought of you. <laughs> you want to come and work with us? That and I'm sounds like, just like him. 20 years old and 20 years of experience. That's <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Mm. Yeah, and then I said uh, no. No, no, thank you, John. You know, thank you so much. But you know, I've been there doing the VJs thing. I did Music Plus, and and then I I hang up. And then my my best friend from Paris was like following my career, and he was kind of taking news. How are you? He was he moved to Paris to do a big TV show there. The guy I moved into to Toronto with at the time, my boyfriend at the time, years before, I was still friends. And he said to me, he said, and I said, guess what? John Martin called me to ask me to be a VG on Much Music. And he said, what did you say? I said, I said, no, I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt, you know. <laughs> and he goes, okay, wait a minute. You are a clown, in, you know, and you work in a balloon shop. You deliver <laughs> singing telegrams. And John Martin calls you and you, and you say no. He said, no. Take a deep breath when you hang up the phone with me and call him right back. <laughs> like, uh, okay, I think I'll do that. He says, yes. He said, call him and I tell him, sorry. I, I, I don't know why I said no, but yes, I want <laughs> to. You, what did you say to him when you back and he goes you that you you're like you just say no to someone (laughs) and you have to call him back what did you say to him oh i said john hi it's natalie (laughs) so sorry i i yes i i'm sorry i was taken out of out of the blue i you know i i'm sorry i said no i i really do want to come and meet you to to work at my music and everything. He said, okay, so he gave me a meeting and then I took the train the, the week following week, I went to meet him at the Friars, you know. And now the reason why you say the Friar is uh, John Martin, our boss at the time, was famous for basically working out of a bar across the street from Much Music. He sort of took it as his office. I think he had like a seat in the back of the restaurant that became his office. Exactly. He took all of his business meetings and he even got phone calls there. Like there were no cell phones. Like he, they would call the bar and they'd yell, John, phone. Uh, It was was amazing. So if we had to, if you wanted to meet him, this is where you you met him in his office, the front here. So I went there and uh, met with him one day and then they were offering me, like I knew Toronto. I knew how it was to live there. I knew what, how it costs to be famous because uh, you have to have different things. It's crazy because you're never home. You have to eat out. You travel. You have to dress. Uh, we, nobody provided provided us with clothes at the time. No wardrobe. We our own makeup. We right. did our own makeup at the time. So I knew all this was very expensive and living in Toronto, more expensive than Montreal. And then we could never reach an agreement on the salary I would get. They were basically offering me almost the same thing that I was getting at Music Plus to live in Toronto. And I, I knew I was not going to be able to survive, not with this lifestyle, because you're always traveling. And, you know, this is more expensive than a normal life where you just have a regular schedule and everything. Everything is, is more expensive. You have to, you know, you have to go to the airport, take a, you know, you know, it's like. 
So after three days of negotiation, let's say Thursday, Wednesday afternoon, we met for an hour, two hours with uh, Nancy and another on Thursday and on Friday again, and they were always offering me the same thing. So I, I, I thought, oh, this is not going to work. That's so too bad. So I was very good friends with Steve Anthony, our Steve Anthony. And uh, I called him and I said, Steve, you know, I'm I'm leaving. It's not going to work out because we cannot agree on the terms and stuff and that. And we used to hang out in the place for drinks. It was very popular, martinis at the time. And I don't remember the name of this bar, but it was a martini bar. It was in a basement. And, you know, they had an old telephone, like a black telephone with, uh, you know, with the know. Yeah. and they served the martinis. It was, it was like so, so Steve said, well, before you take your train, let's go for a martini. That was like, that was in fashion those days in the 90s, early 90s. So I meet Steve there and I tell him what happened and I go, well, I'm going back home and it's not going to work out. And then he says, you better call Moses before you, before you take off because he'll be very upset if you leave and you don't tell him. And I'm like, hey, you're right. Because Moses was so upset that I left Music Cruise without telling him, you know, this disagreement thing, Moses was like, you should have called me, you know, uh, we should have worked it out. And, you know, and I'm very proud, you know, when they said to me, oh, well, you know, if you're not happy, leave, I left, you know, <laughs> it's kind of my, it's my, a bit well, of it, my was, it was also a power play on their part. They were daring I, you and you stood up to them. Good on you, Natalie. <laughs> Good on you. You got to be a clown because you stood up to them. <laughs> well, this is very much my personality, I guess. So anyway, so Steve said, reminded me that Moses was very upset when I, he found out that I had left without telling him because, you know, Moses is, cares a lot about his people. And so I said, yeah, I'm going to call him. So I, the girl from the bar, she gave me the phone, the black phone with the, the roulette, the, you know, the, <laughs> the dial, that's what yes. it's called. So I picked the phone, I called Much Music. Uh, reception, hello, can I speak with Moses Nimer, please? Yes, one moment, please. And then I get Moses on the phone. It's Friday, five o'clock, you know? I said, Moses, it's Natalie, how are you? And I go, well, I want to tell you bye because I'm going to take my, my train and at seven and I won't be, it won't work because we, we talked and we couldn't get an agreement. And he goes, what happens? What do you want? I'm like, what do you mean? I said, well, it's not enough money. I won't be able to survive in Toronto with uh, what they're offering me. He said, how much do you need? <laughs> I said, I knew exactly what I needed, you know, and it was not over. It was just, I, you know, it was. It was uh, probably knowing you was probably too low, <laughs> knowing you. Well, it was, it was for me that the, the, you know, I had a standard, like an average and I couldn't go lower than. So I said that, that number and Moses said, okay. I'm like, okay. He said, yes, you'll have it. And he said, and I said, okay, well, I need also to find myself an apartment. And he said, okay, I'll give you six months rent, but not more than $800. And then, but I want you in the studio on Monday morning. That's it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> I hang up. And then Steve looks at me and he goes, what happened? I said, well, Moses said that I have to come. And uh, he wants me on, on the floor on Monday. And uh, there it is. <laughs> and and <laughs> Natalie, when you say on the floor, he doesn't literally mean on the floor. He means in front of the cameras. So a lot right. of people may go, what is it? What do you mean? He wants you on the floor. Oh, okay. That's well, like, always say on the floor in French. On the floor means like on the, on the, on the, obviously on the stage. On the stage. Right, right. So, yeah, so that was very, 
that's how it happened. And so, so you never had a lawyer or an agent negotiate no. for you? No, no, no. I did this all, always on my own. And as I, as you said, maybe I didn't ask for enough, but I was happy with what I got. And then I came home by train <laughs> four hours late, five hours later, midnight. I'm home. I tell my boyfriend, okay, I'm moving to Toronto on Monday. Sorry. <laughs> I packed my car. And on Monday morning, it was in the winter because I remember it was in November. There was big snowstorm in Montreal. I arrived with all my big snow boots and my hat, my winter hat. I get into much music studio my car is parked in front with all my stuff in it, all that I own. Even I've, I have like an ironing board. I have, you know, there's no cats or dogs, but there's like everything I own is in my car and it's in front of much music. And I go in and they're like, oh my God, you're coming from the great north or something. <laughs> it was in Toronto, you walk in shoes. And I had all this like winter apparel on me. And uh, they were like, I said, yeah, no, but I'm coming to... Uh, I think it was Monday, so I was there, and and or, and then they said, well, there's a big party tonight at the Phoenix. There's a record launch. You have to come. I said, yeah, but first I have to to look for an for an apartment for myself. And everybody started laughing. You know, Craig and David Kinds. I'm like, ha ha ha. I said, well, I'm going to look for an apartment this afternoon. And I go, no, this is Toronto. You don't look for an apartment like this. And I had a meeting with this older lady uh, who had an apartment on Balmoral Street up. Avenue Road on the eighth floor. And I, I, I was hoping this would work. And uh, they were laughing. And I said, okay, well, watch me then. I'm going to go. And if I see you at the party, I'll change and everything without all my thing. It's because I got my apartment. And they were laughing like, oh, the girl from Montreal, French girl, she thinks she can find an apartment. Anyways, I get to the apartment. This lady was absolutely awesome. She And I, I, I look at the apartment. It was one room. Because I only had eight hundred dollars, <laughs> it was one room. The couch made a bed. There was a little little kitchen corner, a little very little fridge. It was perfect. Big large window overlooking the city. And she said, "Okay." I said, "Well, I take it. It's all furnished and everything." And uh, I said, "I need it now." <laughs> she was like, "Well, you know, I need to take your reference." I said, "I'll give you a check right now, first and last month, but I need it now because I have a party tonight." <laughs> to go to and I think she loved me she was like really I said yes I need to change you see I need to all my stuff is in my is in my car and I need to change and I didn't need to go to the party because I told everybody I was going to be there (laughs) she was looking at me like whoa okay she said sure okay no problem when you first met with who was it oh Dana Lee at Queen yes. Street East, so that would have been probably four years earlier or something like that when you first met him. Um, you said you didn't speak French, uh, English. No, because you he asked me, what do you do or what do you, what do you do? And I wanted to take my host and I said, I'm a blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yes, but when did you learn how to speak English well enough to be broadcasting live for four hours with no script. How do you do that? Well, if you look at my interviews when I first started, I used to make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> and you look at my first day when Steve, you know, the very first day of this of this story is on somebody put this on uh, put that 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 episode on YouTube if you see it. And it's like Steve Anthony introduces Natalie Richard. And I was there for the first time. And they said to me, You don't have to work. Just come to the office, get acquainted. Like this, 
sit at that desk and you'll be starting next week. But then I just got there the night before I went to the party. The next morning I was there. And then Steve pretended to be sick because that's how they do, you know, they just, it has to be the environment and you're not, you, you don't, you cannot be prepared. So I, I, I don't know. I, I think I spoke English a little bit, but I learned uh, as I was, uh, as I was doing it, I was well, making listen, a lot of. Listen to me. This is, This is really crazy. I mean, the idea that all of us were given four hours on live TV with no script is crazy enough, right? Because we, any of us could say anything that we wanted or really do anything that we wanted. But to right. put someone who has, who doesn't have a strong control of a language to broadcast live for four hours is pretty crazy, I think, when you think about it. And the pressure on you What was going on in your brain at that time? Were you instantly translating? Like, how did you, how did you broadcast in English when you're French speaking? I don't know. I just did it. I learned English at school and I did a, a English uh, immersion when I was 14 years old in, in Peterborough. And I, I, I had a, a basic English. Uh, but, you know, I remember when I finished with, much music which was I stayed maybe from 91 to 98 at the end I didn't have a French accent anymore and some people were like oh we miss your French accent it was so nice when you had a French accent believe me now I have a French accent I don't <laughs> you can hear it I I and I had completely lost my uh, I guess it's maybe a musical ear that makes you learn languages fast I think it's because of music that I can learn so many languages faster it's a musical thing to my ear So and you, I would research, I would write, I would practice, I would make sure. I, but I had some <laughs> some funny moments when I said the wrong word and it could be interpreted in a different way. I think. But <laughs> I guess it was cute. <laughs> so you were brought in to, I guess, in a way, represent French Canada. Absolutely. Which, which was a very astute thing for Moses and John and Nancy to have done. Did you ever feel pressure that you were the one person representing the voice of French Canada? I never thought about it that way. For me, I was going to, I was working too much uh, on much music and I didn't feel like I represented the Quebec or anything like that, or I didn't see myself different than any other French Can uh, Canadian. You know, my grandfather was English. My mother is French. I have Native American background. For me, I'm a true Canadian. I never felt like I'm from a distinct society. I never had it in me to feel this way, to feel different. Mm. Uh, and I, uh, I was very lucky when I think, uh, I don't know if you remember, but when I first arrived, there was a big uh, 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 Gemini Award show. And Mike Myers, it was during the year of Wayne's World. And Mike Myers uh, did a skit. You know, after Wine's World, he was hosting it and he did a skit on top five reasons why Quebec shouldn't leave Canada. It was around the election. They wanted to be independent again. Quebec wanted to be independent again. And he said, reason number one, Babe Alone, Natalie Richard, Schwing. He did that on, on CBC. The next day it was in the Toronto Star. And then, you know, I felt like I was very lucky. Or it was just like the, the momentum was good. And I think people liked me. I never had any 
problems um you know like with uh, the fact that i was french and when i would come back to montreal i would say oh yeah they don't like french people in in toronto so that's not true and i came to the def- actually i was more of a defender of english canada than a than a uh parole of my of quebec because for me it was it was it was it was natural you know we had all the french videos that was sometimes controversial but everybody loved me too and uh in a few years after, I think three years after I was in, uh, Moses asked me to do actually a French show. And he said, find a name. It's going to be once a week and then turn out to be once a day. And I remember being very excited going to his office. I said, Moses, Moses, I have a name. I don't know if you're going to like it. It's a little bit, uh, <laughs> it's called French Kiss, the meeting of two tongues. I thought, oh, my God, this is way too intense for English Canada. But he loved it. So, uh, and, uh, and at this point, I was representing Quebec in the French language videos. We had half an hour dedicated to French culture, the difference and everything. And it, and it was great because when we created this show, I had no idea that it was going to become like an educational program that they would use in schools for, for young people to learn French. A lot of the schools out West would use French Kiss and the videos and the presentations to uh, to help uh, students to learn French and to be interested in the French culture because it was part of the curriculum and they used my show. So I was like, wow, this is so cool. So I became at that point, I would say, now I was an ambassador for my culture, but not at the beginning. I had no idea that yeah. that, that was used as a the curriculum. And then you did fromage. Oh, yeah. This was Oh my God. This is like the memorable, like the, this is the, what the most fun with Christopher, with Flu fly in every year from LA. And uh, f- for those who don't remember, f- Christopher and I were a French couple who owned a, a fromage cheese, <laughs> a cheese uh, store. And uh, we would play every year, like the worst videos. And then Christopher's so funny. And I was uh, actually, I was not this guy. I was his lovely assistant, Nathalie. <laughs> and you know, the funny thing is like, my name is Nathalie Richard. But no one ever called me, uh, as long as I was at Much Music in Toronto, nobody called me Natalie Richard. They always called me Natalie Richard. And then after the, much, the, the, after the, 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 the skit from uh, Mike Myers, they would call me Natalie Richard La Renard, <laughs> like the Mike Myers thing. So, Which is the fox. Natalie the fox. La Renard, Dennis was always saying Renard Richard, Renard. Was, uh, so they were making, they were... F- calling my name in French. Everybody loved you. Everybody well, loved true. Everybody loved working with you. Do you feel like there were different expectations put on women who were on air than the guys? No, I never felt that. I, it, but also, I don't really, it's not very much of my personality. I was raised as like, like you with a from uh, with a very strong mother and uh, I was never raised uh, as boys and girls are different so it's not in my mind to think that I can see it sometimes but it's almost like I I don't feel part of it for some reason uh there was a big expectation on the the workload that we had to do because I remember when um when we started to do French Kiss uh Moses or I think it was Moses Neimer or whatever whoever was my boss at the time said to me okay now you're going to be directing that show French Kiss French Kiss so I became a director and that was I I was like uh I'm a VJ I'm not a director like there's a lot of things to do there and I remember going to the crew and say and they were all upset 
set because they all wanted to be the director. For them, it was like a, an upgrade in their job. And th- then mm. I remember thinking, okay, there's, they didn't want to work with me. And then we always won before every year, I, I, all, for all those years, we'd go out after to the bed for a drink after work. You know, it was very much like uh, keeping the team together. Very, I loved hanging out with uh, the crew and everything. But then nobody was talking to me anymore. And I was like, okay, well, you know what to do. And they, they wouldn't do anything. And I realized, okay, I'm a director now, so I need to be directing. It took me a while to learn that, but what an opportunity. It was, but I was never again not told how to do it. <laughs> it's like this is the this is how we we learned all all this 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 environment made us learn as we could. There was never any direction or any. So I learned. I learned one day. I realized they need to be told. They need me to act as a director, not as a friend that you go for. And then be, now I'm not a VJ anymore, so I need to give them specifically what I need to do. And I started doing that and it was all fine after that. And then I became a director. So it, it was another chord, another string to my arc, which later when, you know, when this all was over, I was a producer for a CBC uh, East Coast producer for a show called Street Sense for maybe three to four, five years. I was a correspondent and, you know, as a, as a producer director because of that experience. So, you know, it's all good. Tell me about the, sort of behind the scenes of much you mentioned you know going out for drinks with everybody and what was the vibe like for you when you worked at much everybody wants to know this you know like what's the dirt or what did it feel like or what was the sort of social dynamic um, between the on-air people the crew the bands that came in the record company guys and gals who brought the artists in like what was that like for you? Oh, for me, it was like a big family, you know? I was totally, it was like, a, sometimes I, I compare this to the Mickey Mouse Club. You know, you're just a child and they take you in the Mickey Mouse Club and you live in this world that's uh, fantasy in a way. And, the, the, you know, we didn't really have a real life. I didn't have a real boyfriend for all these years. I didn't have a family life. I was in Toronto. I was away from it. We were traveling, you know, how it was. And for me, everybody in this environment was my friend. It was sort of a, a big, big, big family. That's how it was. And there was some discord in between people. But honestly, I never wanted to get involved. I was always like kind of... Uh, you know, friends with everybody, doing my job, loving to go on the road. I loved every minute of it. And um, I guess by the end, I started to be tired. I think uh, it's a life that takes a lot of what you have inside. It squeezes you uh, as any kind, any type of, uh, any type of uh, work or creative work, creative work, anybody that's on stage, anybody that's like, it's a, it's a, it's like a, a rolling fire. It's, it's a, like a it's marathon. Crazy. It's like a marathon. Yeah, yeah, you need a lot of energy. Yeah. And yeah. I've never been, I've, I was never been sick. I never missed any. And then, you know, I was, it was really, really exciting. So I guess by the end I was, I was getting tired. Uh, and then it, it was changing. The industry was changing also. It was becoming more corporate. It was not as it was. And they were changing also for younger, different generations. And it was the beginning of the end. Now that we look at it, when we started leaving all the original ones, but you, but me later, but I still consider myself as the original uh, you know, because of the music plus years. And then, uh, so and why then did you leave? Of- 
What what happened? What's the story? Well, my time was up. I didn't. My uh, my contract was not renewed, and it was a mutual agreement. I was done. I think I was really tired, and I needed to move on to something else. It's very strange because I had done that all my life. Like let's say from 21 years to 35, like between music plus and much music, I grew up in this environment, literally, and you too. I mean, you have you you must have lots of to say about that. Is like you know most people grow up in their twenties, they date and they go out and they have like a normal kind of life. We never had that. We grew up under the lights. Everybody was watching us every day, and when you go out, everybody recognizes you, and it's um, you know, and they come up to you and say, "Oh, you look much better on TV," <laughs> stuff like that. You know, it's funny talking to you is like. Uh, reaffirming to me, because this is one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast is because I have such mixed feelings about my time back at Much. I loved it. Don't get me wrong. But there were a lot of hard things about it that, you know, it's not that I want to complain about it, but I want, I like when I hear other on-air people reflect back with similar feelings that I had. Like, you know, it did sort of suck a bit of life out of me back in the day. And I was happy to go. In fact, when I left, and I don't know if you remember this, because you and I were friends already at this point. Yes, yes, yes. I tried as hard as I could to distance myself from much music. In fact, I resented when anybody would stop me on the street and say, hey, aren't a, are you that girl from Much Music? I was like, I wanted to growl at them. Of course, I smiled and I said, yes, it's me, obviously. But it, for me to do this podcast is only because I have been able to emotionally feel like I'm now my own person. I totally agree with you, Erica, because it's the same with me. When I finished that, it was finished. I wanted to turn the page and do something else and reinvent or find out who I really was and what am I going to do next. I remember like there was so, so many flowers in my apartment when I finished. You know, everybody sends you flowers because they love working with you. I thought I was dead. You know, if it was, if it was nowadays, if I had like, <laughs> there was no phone, intelligent phone, I would have taken a picture of myself, you know, on the floor and, and surrounded with all these flowers. It was really the death of something. It was it, it the, the image in my head is really, it's the death of something. Uh, and there is, there is um, a period of mourning that needs to be done after that. I think I, uh, for three, three months, I didn't much go out of my apartment. I needed to like, I was like, whoa, I was so tired. It was like, it was almost like a truck had, uh, ran over me. It was just like, whoa. And then what next, you know, you wonder, and then you call people and then they, they don't return your call because you're not necessary to them anymore. You're it's, it's a business. They were not your friends. And then you're so young and you go in, you think, oh, everybody is my friend. Everybody loves me. And what's coming up next. But then no, you you're not there so nobody cares anymore and then that that was a shock to me it was I have a to tell you something when i when i spoke to namageni and also Catherine mcclenahan both of them said the same thing to me that when they left they lost a majority of their friends that suddenly people weren't interested in in them the same way and that it really hurt them well, yes, and then this is uh, all you learn. Some people learn it younger, but for me, it was then. 
that to make the difference between personal life and work life, which was not clear. And I think we, our life was all mix and match. And I didn't have really a life except that life. And for many years, so I got swapped into this. And like I, like I said, I didn't regret it, but it was difficult to turn when, when I needed to turn the page like you, I needed not to hear about it, like to, to be able to build myself again without having this character, this who is this person. And, the, and then it's, it's interesting how I made peace with that is like when I realized, and this is what I told you at the beginning, I realized once you're famous, you're always famous. And then I realized whether I want, I want it or not, I will always be that girl. It's part of me. And it hurts people when I tell them I don't want to talk about it. Because <laughs> they always want to know, oh, how was it? And it's always the same questions. Who did you meet? And I was, I was it interviewing uh, David Bowie, or and then you're like, oh, can you ask me something else about now? Can you ask me how I am? Just what am I doing now? All they want to know is like, how, how was it then? And this is hard. And then eventually, I realize, and it's very selfish. <laughs> from them to want that because then you're not there anymore, but you still have to uh, embody that persona, that, that role. And, and, and then I realize that, okay, I'm going to have this role for the rest of my life. And I realize when I say it, when I go, cause I, I host, uh, I do hosting still now at wine tastings and stuff like that. And when I tell people, cause they always like, I just said, now it's been long enough and you know much older so i'm thinking they're like i think i'm known as girl did we go to school together and they're like they, they're looking for it so now i tell them i said yeah if you think you've seen me before and they're like yes i knew it and and it makes them so happy because i realize it's, it's a part of their lives you know as much as it was a part of mine and but it took me a long time to 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 put the two together to I agree understand with that. that the two were were a whole but yes. I think it's just growing up because, you know, you don't have a chance to, while everybody else is doing the normal things in life, you know, dating and all that stuff, which was not, you know, how hard is it to, to date a guy when you're like a celebrity on TV? All <laughs> The guys are looking at you like, oh, my God, it's Nelly Richard. Oh, my God, it's Erica M. Like, the I guy- was at home alone <laughs> for most of the time that I was on Much Music because... And it's funny because when I left much music years later and I became a parent, a mom, suddenly all these women and their husbands would stop me on the street and go, oh my God, I used to have the biggest crush on you. And I was like, you did? (laughs) You did? What? Because no one asked me out. No. I never got asked out. Right? Oh, no, never. Not that I really had any time, but uh, no, guys. I had time because I didn't, like you you were way more social than I was. That's your personality. You love to go to bars and, you know, you're very Quebecois, you know, you're warm and you like to, to celebrate with people, etc. Not me. I would go home. I, love, I loved going out. I was asking you all the time, Erica, come with us. We're doing this. It's going to be so much fun. You're like, Oh no, 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 please don't, don't, don't force me. I don't want to go. I'm like, really? <laughs> I know it's I'm so such an. It was like I'm, part of the, of the fun. Yeah, I'm like I was. I'm really quite an introvert, and you're completely an extrovert, and that's why I think we get along really well because we respected each other's differences. And um, so, okay, you left much music, and you have been grappling with, you know, 
who you were and who you will become. You worked at Street Sense on CBC and you started hosting a cooking show or a show about food. Tell me about it. You suddenly made this, not suddenly, that's the wrong word. You started to evolve the new Natalie, drawing on this love of food that you've had, the travel that your family went on when you were younger. You started to tap into the, not the real Natalie, but a different part of Natalie. Absolutely. And I was uh, Epicurean, as you know, always, always been. And I had an agent at this point and I got this uh, job uh, to work with, uh, you don't remember the great Canadian food show on the CBC. It was on for five years. There was a French version of that. I went on for one year. Um, they, they, they had a license to do a French version. So we, the first year we, we toured all of us together across Canada with Carlo Rota, who was the host. And we did two shows together in Quebec. And uh, But uh, in, the concept was to shoot simultaneously. So we would spend one day shooting the English version and then the French version. We would always shoot together. Did you uh, do both, day. like the English and the French? No, no, Carlo was doing the English. And then, oh. and then when he was finished with his shot, I, was, I would go in the shot and do the French. Like oh. we, we did that simultaneously, so we all turned together. And so that's when I I, uh, I, I I basically went from music to gastronomy, uh, food. And then I, uh, after that, was hired to be a co-host on the first uh, food uh, cooking shows on the, the, was it the Food Network? It's called it here. It's called Canal V. It was the first cooking show in 19, in 2000. So imagine um, cooking shows were not popular at this time. <laughs> so again, I'm doing something new. And that was really fun. I was with a chef and we were like cooking and I was his assistant and a bit like uh, with Christopher and Fromage, but this was serious cooking. <laughs> it was fun. And we did that for a year. They were changing hosts every year. So I did that. And after that, I did a sex show. I went to, into... Um, what? I did a show about sexuality, not a sex show, let's put it right. So uh, one woman was supposed to... Anyways, I replaced somebody in the show and they called me and they said, oh, we need... Uh, I just gave birth to Dahlia, my daughter. And uh, I had lots of, uh, you know, <laughs> it, was <really laughs> it was crazy. I kept saying, that's why they came to get me. But no, no, really, it was, I was doing a press review on this. It was a sexuality show at 11, only in Quebec you would find that, 11 p.m. on Friday night, you know, for couples and, you know, talking about what's going on. And there was a new, more, uh, a, comed- a comedian in the show, and it was fun. It was like uh, a fun show. So I did that. And then uh, I moved to Hong Kong for two years, but then I, st- then, then I started writing. I started going into travel writing when I lived in Hong Kong with my daughter, with my husband at the time. Uh, in Hong Kong, it was really interesting, but then I had time to write. And so you went to Dubai, writing. didn't you? Yeah, I lived in Dubai for one year. And, but at this point, I was a yoga, a certified yoga teacher. I was an herbalist and a telepath because okay. when I started having I- children... yeah. I, I think it's interesting for, I'm hoping that as people are listening to this, they're taking note of all the things that you have taught yourself. So you went from this uh, love of cooking and then you studied yoga. Yes. And then you studied travel and you started to become a travel writer. 
Yes, because I, I always adapted my life, my my work to my life, I guess. Because then when I started traveling, I thought, okay, now I can't work. I couldn't work in Hong Kong and I had a young child. So I said, I can write. And it was difficult for me to write at the beginning because usually I wouldn't write. I would just go on air and say what I had in my mind. It was easy, you know, and I did my research. I didn't have to write anything, but writing, yeah, you you know, because you've written a few books and you've, you've done theater and everything. Yeah, every word counts. You have to think about every word and how they go together and, and the beginning, the middle and the end and where it goes. So it was a big, it was, it was interesting. I was like, wow, I can, I always wanted to write and now I have time, write other things than songs, you know? So I uh, was able to write for newspapers and send stories. So I became a freelancer, I guess, already at this point. And uh, because I was traveling at the occasion of traveling i was able to sell stories uh and then I, in dubai I, I was able to I, I was allowed to work in dubai i worked for the gulf news i was uh, writing a travel column and i was training <laughs> again this is my multi-job thing i was a personal trainer i was a yoga teacher uh trainee uh one-on-one -on -one with women mostly uh it was really a, a very um, rewarding experience in a studio, private studio, and women would come and they had a problem with their weight and they couldn't lose weight. And I was saying, well, how come, you know, and show me what they, I have a dietitian. And I realized all the food they were eating were not appropriate to their culture or their taste because it was all bland and it was all empty. It was no, you know, like a chocolate muffin, so many calories, but it's, it's not nourishing, you know? And then I started writing recipes for them. And so they would hire me to give them recipes and they would lose weight because they were loving their food. I was like, stop doing a diet, eat what you like and you'll and be fine, drink a little glass of wine. You know what's interesting <laughs> is that you when you went there, you weren't Natalie Richard. Oh yeah, that's so true. So you could have like a regular job of just being a trainer, when I say just, you know, it's not that it's a small job, but it's the kind of job that you couldn't have done before in Canada. It's probably the kind of job, Erica, that nobody would have hired me for here. Right. So now you just made me think of that. The fact that I was I was willing and I was, I was able to expatriate myself. We did that for three years, two years in Hong Kong and one year in Dubai. I guess for me, I really wanted to go there because I needed to be able to be who I am without being I have the stigma of who I was as mm -hmm. a as a personality. Imagine a dentist. Imagine you're a dentist, and then you decide you want to be a plumber. Oh no! Imagine you're a plumber. Let's go the way around. And then you <laughs> want to be a dentist, and then you go to school, and then you you and then and you're a famous plumber, and nobody wants you to touch their mouth because they say this is the plumber. I don't you know. Everybody's looking for a dentist, and it works like that. In, in it's it's maybe not a good example, but it's like it's it works like that in people's mind. They put people in a box. But in, in, in reality, we're creators of our own life, and especially us in our, in our area, uh, we're artists in a way, because all you created of YMC, it's all creativity. We work in the field of creativity, which is ever-changing. And I think that's why, you know, I realized later, because they hired me for different TV shows, it never worked out. You know, a lot of people ask me, why didn't you continue doing a career on TV? It didn't work. Because I realized I don't like TV that much. I like much music. I like Music Plus because it was live. Because we were creating every 
every time we would go on air, we didn't know what we were going to say. It was live. It was right now. It was not, okay, learn this and say it 23 times and repeat it to me with this emotion, with that emotion. I realized I didn't like that. I was not an actress. And, and when they asked me, sometimes I did jobs where they asked me 10 times to do to repeat the same thing. I was just exhausted and I, I didn't want to do it. I really didn't want to do it. So it's not the TV and being famous that I liked. It was, the, it was like this environment, this momentum in life where we were at that time. So, and, and, and then I think I disliked the fact that I, I, I had a bullet to my feet to, that's, that, that I was going to be stuck there in time for the rest of my life. It's like, no, look what I'm doing now. It's completely different, you know? But then I realized it's okay. <laughs> they can it, it can go together we're all a whole so you're you're into um gastronomy and you uh you studied herbs etc and then you discovered working in wine i was going to say you're you didn't discover wine because from what i know about you you've always enjoyed your wine <laughs> that's oh, yes. always been a hobby of yours and then apparently you went to study wine Yes. And to take a course, and you got 100% in blind tasting. Yeah, so, that comes with experience, Erica. <laughs> so the, more you, the more you taste, the more you know what you're, what's in your... Could, could you explain to me what a blind tasting test is? Okay. Well, um, after being in gastronomy, I, I, I did these two TV shows and then I, I did the travel section. I came back to Montreal and I, I was uh, doing the first, first uh, you know, Chatelaine? We have Chatelaine in Quebec in French. Chatelaine and magazine, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And when the first, the blog started, you know, like social media started, this is around 2000, I, uh, no, 2010 something like that and then social media measure twitter and all that stuff started to to come up and uh, there was a all the, the magazines were going um uh online and i i did the, the gourmand blog for chatelaine so i was writing stories about that i was a, i was a, a food blogger at that point and being a food blogger, I was always more and more starting, starting to meet winemakers and, and incorporate wine with food. And I always loved my wine, as you know, but I realized I didn't have the language of wine. And that really upset me because I like to have the right words on the right things. So I went to school. I asked my boyfriend at the time. My daughter was still young. I said, I have to go to school 40 hours. Uh, this is uh, the whole uh, fall, I'm going to have to go to school two nights a week until 11 p.m. Is that okay? Or I, and then it was okay. So I went and it was like the, just tasting 101, like the first, uh, it was a real class at the THQ, uh, a real wine class, but the, the numero uno, you know, first one. And then at the end, uh, we had to, 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 there was a glass of white wine and a glass of red wine. And we have, it's a blind tasting, so we don't know what's inside the glass. And we have to, we have some points and if we're able to describe what it tastes like, uh, the description also, we have more points if we're able to guess what kind of uh, grape it is inside, what kind of country or region it's from and what year you think it's from. Are you literally blindfolded? No, what's blinded is the wine. Okay. So, so you know that it's red and you know that it's white. That's but it. That's, and that's you it. can look at it. And, uh, but in my mouth, I could figure with the experience of like being a wine lover, it was easy. It was the first class number was 101. So 
so my teacher, he was giving the results. He was meeting all the students after the after we finished that. And he said to me, he said, hey, young recruit, <laughs> because I was probably one of the oldest in the class going back to school. And uh, he said, uh, you know, you really have to work in wine. And I was like, really? What am I going to do? Like work at LCBO? Like I, I couldn't understand what I was going to do in wine. I was like, really? Like sell? I didn't understand, really. For me, it was not clear. But he's, he's really the one who sort of like gave me confidence that I have a role in this, in, in the wine of world, the world of wine. And oh my God, it's been such a great journey. I've been studying wine for eight, was it eight or nine years already. So, uh, and I've written a book uh, called uh, Les Routes de Vin dans le Monde, uh, 50 uh, itineraries in the world, dream itineraries in, on the wine routes of the world. And uh, I, I, I just finished a, a diploma. This is the level before master. It's like, uh, there's only 10 people who have this diploma in Quebec. It's, I went to study to New York, in New York. So I, I sold my, my house again, <laughs> and I grabbed my bag and I was, I was staying Erica in Brooklyn in this, uh, in this beautiful brownstone home with six other students. We're all like young students, like 20 years old. They all like, they found this stage, uh, obviously. Uh, stages? Different. Uh, um, not the stages, but they're all like um, apprentis at the, you know, at the United Nations. And in, they're all like starting their career. And there I am. I have my room. I have a bathroom that we share. And I have like the one one uh, one part of the refrigerator where I can put my stuff and one part in the cupboard where I've never <laughs> lived with anybody before. And I'm sitting in my room one day on my bed and I'm like, I'm in Brooklyn alone. And I'm in this room, like the bed is like from Ikea and it's like, it's really okay, you know? And it's 1,200 US dollars to stay there for a month. And I'm sitting there and alone and I'm thinking, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, I left everything behind. My daughter is staying with, you know, she's finished school. I, I go back and forth, but still I'm like doing this. And I'm thinking if I don't do this now, I'll never do it. And I really needed to get a diploma because I want to teach. And I, I felt like I had plateau in terms of what I know in wine. And I want to be able to seriously, you know, and not not taking myself seriously, but have the, the knowledge. And, and the thing is with the world of wine, the more you learn, the more you're like everything else, but the more you learn, the more you realize you know nothing. It's so vast. It's geology. It's a terroir. It's the history. It's the type of uh, grapes. It's the, the, the chemistry that happens when you are making the wine. And it's, there's so much to learn. It, it really challenged my intelligence. And this is like really... I'm really on my X right now in the world of wine. I just love it. And I communicate the same way as I did on much music, except now I do it with wine instead of music, really. And the bands are like the winemakers and the, the, the music house are like the vine vineyards and the players are <laughs> the ones who taste the wine. And uh, I, I teach people, there's a lot of misunderstanding and misleading ideas about wine. And I teach people to feel good about tasting wine and what wine is. Wine is a product of agriculture. It's a product of the earth. How do you taste? It's not drinking, it's tasting. It's different. And the pairing with food, how it can elevate a meal. 
it's really, I feel really blessed uh, to have found this. Uh, well, I mean, this direction found me too, again. <laughs> it's just the sort of. It, it did, here. but you do the work. You recognize your passion and then you do the work. My God, you sold your house in order to do this. Right. I have so much respect for you, Natalie. <laughs> Tell you. me, you've had such a, a, a roller coaster life so far of successes and failures. What has been your proudest moment in your life so far? <laughs> Well, first of all, I have to tell you, I don't see uh, failure as, uh, for me, success and failure is close. I don't, I don't, I don't feel like I had any failure as per se. Like, do I have a, yeah, I, I, there's things that didn't work or they change into something else because everything is in movement. I don't, maybe, well, uh, if we look at a divorce, maybe we, maybe we can say it's a failure, but you know, sometimes when the marriage is not working, it's best to move on, have the courage to face. It's difficult, but you have to, and then something better comes. Well, comes and up. also look at your daughter. There's no, <laughs> there's no failure in that, that coming together of you and your ex-husband because you made Dahlia, who is an amazing kid. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, you always wish for it to, to be uh, forever. So that was a difficult uh, thing for me and I thought I, it was a failure at one point and I realized it's not because I have my daughter and because the experience was good in so many ways but um, other than that it, professionally I always feel like uh, everything is a stepping stone and I never felt like I failed even if I was maybe uh, mistaken in, in the directions but they all led me where I am now and this is something you can only see when you look back in the moment you you don't know you feel lost you go oh my god that's why am I doing this? I wasted so much time. And then finally, if you listen to your heart and you listen to your way, it's, it's everything leads you. I find our path is very similar that way. Everything leads us to where we need to be. And it, everything that was behind is sort of a, was a stepping stone to get there. And it's, it's one, one piece more in the puzzle that creates uh, experience. I mean, if there's something that's, good about aging is experience <laughs> at least we have that to the one thing yeah the one thing that's really worth uh and that's a privilege to 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 age in life but you know at least the good thing is like we, we get to learn more things but uh, i didn't answer your question did i i'm gonna remind you it's the <laughs> proudest moment i want to know because like I'm going to go back and say, like, you have done so many interesting things, met interesting people, put yourself in challenging situations. What is the proudest thing or moment or highlight in your life? I think the, on a personal level, the thing that I'm most proud of, and I think you will agree with me on your end, is uh, my daughter. I, you know, I think when you're parents, I'm so proud of this, having done that and uh, done, not done that, but I've created life or, and I was, I had, I had my daughter I was 37, 38. So at the time it was pretty late. So it was like, maybe I would have never had her. Uh, so I am very happy about that. And professionally, I'm really proud of this book. This book that I've done, I travel five continents, 23 countries. So you just held uh, up a book. Now, this is an audio uh, recording, so I want to make sure that people understand. You just held up a book. Say the name again, because this book is, it sold out within two months, 
and it's being described as one of the essential books if you like wine. Right. It's a, it's a wine. It's a, it's a, the more what's happening with wine now before what's a, the pandemic, the world pandemic is like uh, vineyards were starting to open to people and the, you know, the having a cellar doors and, and inviting people to see how wine is made tasting at the, on the property. And this is something that's, that's been popping up. All these places have been popping up mostly in the new world, but even in the old countries in Europe and, and discovering it. I think it's the best way to know wine is to go on the on the on the territory, to go on the terroir and visit the winemakers and see how it's made and and realize that it just it doesn't come up in the bottle. You don't open a tap and there there is wine. We'll put a nice label on it somewhere maybe, but you know it's a product. It's an art. It's there's so much behind it. And uh, so I had this idea of doing this book in a collection called uh, it's a dream itinerary. It's a Ulysse is a, is a, is a French is the is the top French publisher. It's like Lonely Planets, right? let's say in French. It's published in France and Switzerland, all in the French countries. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, so this is called Wine Roots in the World: Fifty Dream Itineraries. So I went on five continents in twenty-three countries uh, to visit these uh, these roads. It was part of my study as well. I figured, okay. I, I'm, I'm studying in my diploma. I'm learning things at school. I'm learning things in books. I have to go. One, one teacher, one great teacher once told me, if you want to understand wine, you have to go on the terroir and see how it's made there. And then you'll know. Then you'll have the knowledge. And then it was also part of like, okay, I'm going to go. And then I, I have a book to write. <laughs> and thank God I wrote it last year because this year, this was, you know, all of this would not have been possible. So, and then it, it was a very crazy work because I left for an entire year. My hub was in Istanbul and I traveled to all these countries. Some people were inviting me. Sometimes I had to go on my own. I remember being in Italy in the north of Italy in Piedmont and this, this woman was like, this is your car? And I'm like, yes. So you're, you're driving yourself to all these countries. <laughs> you know, it's easy in Europe because it's close. We're, we're used to, 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 to drive lots of kilometers here. I did Montreal, Toronto many times. It's only six hours. Montreal, New York is only six hours. You know, so for me, dr driving six hours from one country to another one is like, okay, no problem. And then when you visit vineyards, you need a car. You know, it's not, there's no bus stop in front of the vineyard. It's in the country. And sometimes it's, so you don't know where it is. So I went to Georgia. I went to uh, South Africa. Went, Georgia uh, near Russia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not Georgia, USA. Right. <laughs> I went to LA, went, uh, not LA, but California, Napa. Anyways, two, uh, 23 countries. And uh, it was absolutely by myself. And uh, I'm so happy I did that. I, I, I became a different person at the end, at the end of this. I started looking at life differently. It was almost like a pilgrimage of my life. You know, at 50, what do you do now? And, and looking at the world, but with a purpose, because I had to write this book. And as you know, writing a book is a lot of work. It takes a lot of discipline. And uh, I'm so happy that it was a big, I invested like $10,000. I, I paid all of this for my, by myself. And I was like, oh my God, okay, if it doesn't sell, I lose all this money, but then I'll have the knowledge. But then it sold out in, in three months. By After Christmas last year, it was all sold out. We had 6,000 copies, and now they printed more, and I am so happy now, with this project, really. I am so proud of you, and I'm so <laughs> proud that you're my friend. And I really think that your story is a great example for people to understand that 
those of us who were chosen to be on Much Music were chosen because there is something on fire inside us and this deep desire to communicate and to create and to work hard and to be true to what it is that we, we love um, in our lives. And I think that you really embody that. So thank you so much for your time today and for sharing all these great stories. As for you, my awesome listener, if you enjoyed today's conversation and how can you not, please remember to rate the show, hopefully with five stars. Please review it and absolutely subscribe to the show so you will never miss another episode of Reinvention of the VJ because there are so many more super cool interviews to be posted. So many interesting people worked at Much Music and I can't wait to hear all of their stories. If you would like to uh, call me and leave a little voice message and maybe ask a question or share an anecdote or, uh, anecdote or some feedback about your memories of Much Music, the number to call is 833-972-7272. And we'll play your comment, like the comment that started off today's show, we'll play it on a future episode. That number again is 833-972-7272. And if you're not the uh, phone message kind of person, that's okay. I'm all over social media and you can share feedback with me on uh, Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter or Instagram. Just look for Erica. Well, actually look for Erica M and uh, you'll find me there. So again, thank you, Natalie Richard, for being my guest today. I'll see you next week with another episode of Reinvention of the VJ. Here's to living a life filled with music, meaning, and many reinventions. Thanks for listening. Follow Erica M's Reinvention of the VJ podcast. Subscribe and follow more episodes. Click to reinventionofthevj.com. Podcast produced in collaboration with Steve Anthony Productions. Editing and coordination of Flalo Communications, Inc. Copyright 2020. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network.